Welcome to the Special Forces in World War II podcast, transmitting on this frequency. This broadcast is your dedicated channel for comprehensive intelligence regarding World War II Special Forces operations. Our transmissions encompass in-depth analysis of their strategic maneuvers, cutting-edge equipment, illustrious biographies, and an array of pertinent subjects. The orchestration of these transmissions is executed by the expert team of the Special Forces in World War II website, a squad deeply immersed in the historical theater. For further insights, visual aids, and captured moments frozen in time, navigate to our virtual headquarters at worldwar2-soft.com. Your immersion into the front lines of knowledge awaits. Over and out. Welcome to Episode 5 of the podcast about Unternehmen Greif. In our ongoing series, dedicated to revealing the lesser-known facets of World War II's special forces, we introduced Einheit Stierlau in the previous episode about Unternehmen Greif. In this first part about Einheit Stierlau, we took an in-depth look at how Otto Skorzeny's ingenious plan to disrupt Allied forces during the Ardennes Offensive materialized. We covered the ambitious goals of the commando unit Einheit Stielau and their remarkable efforts to create confusion behind enemy lines by donning Allied uniforms. In this second part, we will delve into the intricate details of how things took a less anticipated turn for Einheit Stielau. As the Americans caught wind of German commando teams operating in their midst, the dynamic shifted dramatically. In Episode 5, Unternehmen Greif, Einheit Stielau's Misfortunes, we dissect the challenges, the unexpected hurdles, and the true-to-life misfortunes that unfolded for the commando unit. Join us as we uncover the truths of warfare and the resilience of those who operated behind enemy lines. Stay tuned for this insightful episode as we continue to navigate through the annals of history revealing the untold stories of Unternehmen Greif. Aufklärungskommando, team of Gunther Billing, Manfred Pernas, and Wilhelm Schmidt. On December 17, 1944, an Aufklärungskommando team providing support to the 1. SS Panzer Division effectively infiltrates the American lines. By noon, they have advanced 40 kilometers and reached the village of Eweil, located in Belgium. However, their progress is halted when they encounter a military police checkpoint within the village. The team is asked to provide the day's password as a security measure, but they are unable to comply with this request. According to their papers, their names are Charles W. Lawrence, Clarence van der Wert, and George Sensenbach. They confess to being German infiltrators belonging to a large unit operating behind American lines. Their real names are Gunther Billing, 21, Manfred Pernas, 23, and Wilhelm Schmidt, 24. The three team members are dressed in American uniforms but lack field jackets and leggings, and only one wears the standard regulation belt. Although their military-type identification papers seem to be fine, they also have German personal documents on their person. Interestingly, they carry a German Soldbuch, 
a paybook, which is essentially a German personal military identification document. Each member carries a USM 1911 A1.45 caliber pistol. The equipment in their Jeep is equally intriguing, encompassing two portable radios, two German MP3008 Neumünster 9mm submachine guns, a German 9mm Walther P38 pistol, and a collection of six German M39 egg-shaped hand grenades. Alongside these armaments, they also carry USK rations and ammunition in the Jeep. The men are arrested and brought in for interrogation. Killed in Action From the Americans comes the following account. On December 18, 1944, a German commando team emerges from a forest path in a captured mechanized cannon from the American 18th Squadron of the 14th Cavalry Group, which has reached Poteau. They are stopped by troops from the 7th Armored Division, to which the 14th Cavalry belonged. Sergeant John S. Myers recounts that the men claimed to be cavalrymen from E Company and are subsequently killed near Poteau. They are recognized by Americans as German infiltrators since the American cavalry units are referred to as troops by the Americans instead of companies. Besides this account, there are photographs available of German commandos lying dead beside a jeep. These pictures do not show a mechanized cannon. However, it is very likely that these deceased Germans are the men killed by the 7th Armored Division. On December 21, 1944, Jeep teams from Einheit Stierlau, assigned to Kampfgruppe Y, approach a roadblock at the bridge leading to the town of Malmedy. They simulate to be part of a U.S. unit which has been cut off from the main force. The objective of these teams is to neutralize the roadblock and thereby permit the rest of the Kampfgruppe to enter Malmedy. About five kilometers from Ligneville, they drive into a minefield. The column halts, and American small arms, fire, and artillery zero in on them. The fire is devastating, and most of the captured American vehicles involved are destroyed. Only a few succeed in withdrawing. In the aftermath of the Battle of Malmedy on December 21, 1944, six members of Einheit Stielau are apprehended by members of the 30th Infantry Division. Obergefreiter Rolf Jesch, Unteroffizier Heinrich Pipitz, and Gefreiter Alfred Franz are captured together, while Obergefreiter Antoni J. Morzak, Gefreiter Otto Struller, and Gefreiter Karl Müller are found in a Belgian house. Joseph Kanye is arrested alongside two members of Kampfgruppe Y. All men are likely survivors of the attack on the bridge to Malmedy earlier that day. While Franz, Morzak, and Struller are attired in American uniforms, Kanye, Jesch, Pipitz, and Müller are taken into custody wearing German uniforms, classifying them as conventional prisoners of war. Aufklärungskommando, Team of Günther Schulz, Manfred Bronny, Hans Reich and Karl-Heinz Weisenfeld. An Aufklärungskommando team led by Officer Leutnant Günther Ernst Heinz Schulz, along with Manfred Bronny, Stabsgefreiter Hans Walter Otto Reich and Leutnant Karl-Heinz Wilhelm Weisenfeld, almost reached their intended target the bridge over the Meuse River between Huy and Namur. However, their progress was halted by military policemen from C Company of the 769th Military Police Battalion at the N3 intersection with the Aachen-Liege Canal. While talking to the team, many small details didn't match up. 
Suspicion arises when one of the men inside the jeep is searched and is found to store his documents in cellophane, an unusual practice for an American. His ID tag number also doesn't correspond to the one he provided earlier. Inside the jeep, the military policemen find explosives described as American mess tins filled with solid explosive material. Numerous detonators with electrical wires are also discovered. Besides that, the vehicle also holds two submachine guns, hand grenades, English and American currency, and a stack of 30 maps. Clothing discrepancies emerged. Bronny wore black German shoes, Weisenfeld and Reich sported American uniforms, while Schultz donned a German sweater and undershirt beneath an American jacket and helmet. Perplexed by these inconsistencies, the policemen arrested the team. The news of the team's capture spread swiftly, fueling an atmosphere of suspicion and spy mania within the rear areas of the American forces. Team Krause, Artillery Reconnaissance In the late evening of December 22, 1944, two squads from Einheit Stielau, comprising a seven-member group, embark on a mission. Their primary objective is to locate and disable American artillery bombarding German territory near Belvaux-Ligneville. Their secondary mission involves gathering intelligence on American forces in the area, potentially with captured American prisoners of war. Their expected return is by the morning of December 23, 1944. The team includes Leutnant Arno Krause, Leutnant zur See Günther Schilz, Maschine Obermaat Horst Görlich, Obergefreiter Rolf Meyer, Unteroffizier Erhard Miegel, Obergefreiter Robert Pollack and Obergefreiter Dietrich Witzak. Attired in American uniforms, they carry a variety of American weaponry. Leutnant zur See Günther Schilz leads one team, while Leutnant Arno Krause commands the other. Each team starts out traveling in a jeep. Upon reaching a certain point, they abandon their vehicles and proceed on foot. Roughly 15 to 20 minutes beyond the last German outpost, just behind the American front line in the Germont area, an American soldier stationed at a doorway halts them for identification. Leutnant C. Schiltz and Leutnant Pollack initiate a conversation. The Americans' suspicion escalates during the ensuing dialogue, leading to the disarmament and subsequent capture of both Germans. The American instructs the team commanders to summon the rest of their teams inside, resulting in their arrest as well. This occurs around 2 o'clock on December 23, 1944. Amidst the confusion Amid the proliferation of accounts regarding German commandos in American uniforms, paranoia sweeps through the American army, passwords lose their reliability, and checkpoints witness unconventional queries. Amid the turmoil of the Battle of the Bulge, incidents of friendly fire accidents exacerbate the situation. On December 20th, 1944, confusion and mistaken identity results in the tragic shooting of two American GIs at a checkpoint by our American military policemen. Regrettably, these unfortunate incidents persist into early 1945. Near Bastogne, the U.S. 6th Armored Division unintentionally engages the 35th Infantry Division, leading to the deaths of two soldiers and injuries to several others. 
In the midst of the fog of war and the fast-paced battle environment, friendly forces inadvertently target and harm their comrades. As part of counterintelligence operations against Einheit Stielau, a total of 48 individuals are temporarily detained at Counterintelligence Corps Frontier Control Station 5, situated near Wintringen. Eventually, all are cleared of any counterintelligence suspicions. Additionally, the 301st Counterintelligence Corps unit apprehends three Belgian individuals found in possession of U.S. military clothing, along with a German soldier claiming to be a deserter. Although initially regarded as possible enemy agents, subsequent investigations confirm that none of them poses any counterintelligence threat. Trials against the arrested members of Einheit Stielau Under the authority delegated by General Omar Bradley, commanding general of the 12th U.S. Army Group and acting on the instructions of General Dwight Eisenhower, commanding the European Theater of Operations, United States Army, Lieutenant General Courtney Hodges, commanding general of the U.S. First Army, is entrusted with appointing commissions to trial the detained members of Einheit Stielau, who were arrested in American attire. The subsequent executions are conducted by members of the U.S. First Army. Execution of Aufklärungskommando Team Günther Billing, Manfred Panas, and Wilhelm Schmidt. Following their arrest, the Aufklärungskommando Team, composed of Günther Billing, Manfred Pernas, and Wilhelm Schmidt, is transported to the First Army Interrogation Center by agents of the 301st Counterintelligence Corps Detachment. Here, additional inquiries are pursued regarding the German intelligence service in uniform, based on the information furnished by the apprehended team. Initially, the prisoners estimate the strength of Panzer Brigade 150 to range between 700 and 1,000 members. However, Subsequent assessments establish a more precise figure of 3,000 to 3,300 individuals with a combat effective contingent of approximately 2,400. This brigade, led by SS Obersturmbannführer Otto Skorzeny, aims to sow confusion among the withdrawing American troops and spearhead the German armored assault. The captives furnish details about Einheit Stielau under the leadership of Oberleutnant Lothar Stielau, characterizing it as a cluster of loosely connected jeep teams, each comprised of three or four German operatives masquerading as American officers and enlisted personnel. These teams serve in diverse capacities, collaborating with armored units, specializing in demolitions, communication, sabotage, and long-range reconnaissance. Though SS Obersturmbannführer Willi Hardiek is initially identified as the nominal head of the brigade, it becomes evident that SS Obersturmbannführer Otto Skorzeny is the actual leader. Later intelligence discloses that Hardik is killed by a mine on the first day of battle, thereby granting Skorzeny both titular and substantive control over Panzer Brigade 150. The prisoners' narratives underscore the comprehensive training and preparation the brigade undergoes. The German intelligence service deems this mission crucial for the broader success of the counteroffensive. 
Among the apprehended group, Günther Billing expresses dissatisfaction, revealing that the threat of execution compels his compliance with orders. Manfred Pernas, the jeep driver and the least proficient linguist, claims that he could have evaded capture by military police, yet deliberately sought to undermine the mission, anticipating American triumph. Wilhelm Schmidt offers a succinct and frank confession, acknowledging the inequity of his actions. The trials of these Einheit Stilau members commence on December 21, 1944, when a military commission convenes at the Master Interrogation Center of the 1st U.S. Army located in Belgium. The commission formally charges and conducts a trial for Gunther Billing, Manfred Pernas, and Wilhelm Schmidt. They are ultimately found guilty on two counts. 1. Violating the laws of war by donning American uniforms within the operational theater. 2. Engaging in espionage activities by gathering intelligence for the enemy under the guise of such attire. The Commission's recommendation for all three individuals is the imposition of the death penalty. The subsequent day, Colonel E. M. Brannan of the Staff Judge Advocate's Office undertakes a comprehensive review of the proceedings, confirming the conclusions drawn during the court-martial. On that same afternoon, Lieutenant General Courtney Hodges, commanding officer of the 1st U.S. Army, ratifies and approves the sentences, thus ensuring their execution. The execution by firing squad takes place at Henri Chapelle, Belgium, on December 23, 1944. Execution of Aufklärungskommando Team Günther Schulz, Manfred Bronny, Hans Reich, and Karl-Heinz Weisenfeld. Upon his arrest, Leutnant Günther Schulz, along with his team members Leutnant Karl-Heinz Weisenfeld, Stabsgefreiter Hans Reich, and Feldwebel Manfred Bronny, are also conveyed to the First Army Interrogation Center, where counterintelligence corps agents and other interrogation specialists subject them to further questioning. During his captivity, Günther Schulz proves to be particularly talkative, divulging significant details about the planned Unternehmen Greif towards the Meuse River. He specifies the region between Namur and Liège as the primary focal point. As per Schulz's account, a Fallschirmjäger regiment is slated for deployment during a pivotal phase, particularly in Liège. This strategic move is coordinated with the advancing SS columns directed towards the city. Roughly 70 tanks, including both captured American models and German tanks cleverly disguised as U.S. armor, are entrusted with the mission to exploit any potential breakthrough. They operate under the cover of darkness, retreating into wooded areas during daylight hours. Meanwhile, English-speaking soldiers scout American positions, priming for an assault on the subsequent afternoon. Amid elucidating Einheit Stierlau's objectives and tactics, Schultz makes a startling disclosure. He asserts that he gleaned from the late SS Obersturmbannführer Willi Hardieck, one of the Kampfgruppe commanders of Panzer Brigade 150, that Skorzeny has been assigned an audacious mission. According to Schultz, in early December, an official meeting purportedly tasked Skorzeny with infiltrating the Shayef headquarters in Paris with the objective of assassinating General Dwight D. Eisenhower, the Supreme Allied Commander, 
alongside other high-ranking officials. Schultz further delineates that Skorzeny's group, comprising around 50 to 60 men, will traverse France. The majority will be attired in U.S. uniforms, while a subset will wear German uniforms to mimic captured high-ranking German officers. Schultz even supplies the names of those slated to be part of this operation. The designated rendezvous points for this operation are either the Café de la Paix or the Café de l'Épée in Paris, where collaborators are to join them, offering indispensable information for the mission's success. Gunther Schultz's loquaciousness prevents his trial on December 23, 1944, and subsequent execution, akin to his three team members. While they face their fate by firing squad at Henry Chapelle, Belgium, on December 26, 1944, Schultz experiences a series of relocations after this period. Ultimately, Gunther Schultz is subjected to a military commission trial in May 1945 and is executed near the German city of Braunschweig on June 14, 1945. The reasons for the delay in his trial until May 1945 remain uncertain, and it remains unclear who authorized the implementation of his death sentence. It is, however, confirmed that the U.S. Ninth Army oversees his execution. Execution of the teams led by Lieutenant Arno Krause and Lieutenant Zuzi Gunther Schiltz. Following their apprehension, the teams led by Lieutenant Arno Krause, operating under the alias Calvert Joseph Kenzie, and Lieutenant Zuzi Gunther Schiltz, alias Corporal John Wesler, along with its members, Machine Obermart Horst Görlich, alias Calvert Walter Verge, Obergefreiter Rolf Meyer, alias Second Lieutenant Sammy Rossner, Unteroffizier Erhard Mieger, alias Calvert James Smith, Obergefreiter Robert Pollack, alias Lieutenant Charles Holtzmann, and Obergefreiter Hans Dietrich Witzak, alias Calvert Arthur Osansky, are promptly transported to the 30th Counterintelligence Corps Detachment. Subsequently, this group is transferred to the 1st Army Interrogation Center under the supervision of agents from the 301st Counterintelligence Corps Detachment. Throughout this process, additional details come to light concerning the alleged plot to assassinate General Eisenhower. Machine Obermacht Horst Görlich discloses that he has overheard discussions led by SS Obersturmbannführer Willy Hardiek regarding the plan which entails the airborne deployment of Fallschirmjäger near Paris to support the operation. This revelation heightens concerns, particularly in light of unverified reports regarding Fallschirmjäger drops near Paris three days earlier on December 20, 1944. Obergefreiter Rolf Benjamin Meyer corroborates preceding accounts of the plot, supplementing the information by mentioning that the supposed assassins possess nippolit, a form of plastic explosive in conjunction with specially designed poisoned ammunition. Following the completion of their interrogations, the group is subjected to trial on December 26, 1944, leading to their subsequent sentencing to death. This verdict is executed at Henri Chapelle, Belgium, on December 30, 1944. Execution of Alfred Franz, Antoni Morzuk, and Otto Struller. The detained members of Einheit Stielau, including Josef Kania, Obergefreiter Rolf Jesch, 
Unteroffizier Heinrich Pippitz, Feldwebel Alfred Franz, Obergefreiter Antoni J. Morzuk, Gefreiter Otto Struller und Gefreiter Karl Müller are transferred to the 30th Counter-Intelligence Corps Detachment after their capture. Subsequently, they are conveyed to the 1st Army Interrogation Center under the supervision of agents from the 301st Counter-Intelligence Corps Detachment. The group is split up due to the fact that Franz, Morzuk and Struller were attired in American uniforms during their apprehension, while Kania, Jesch, Pippitz and Müller were garbed in German uniforms, categorizing them as regular prisoners of war. The trio that is arrested while wearing American uniforms undergoes thorough interrogations. Nevertheless, as of the present date, only the interrogation record of Otto Struller is known to have survived. Struller, operating under the aliases of Captain Cecil Dreyer and Private Richard Bumgardner, presents his Adjutant General's Office, AGO card, with one alias, and his dog tags bear the other. Struller, a former ballet dancer, chooses to highlight his achievements on the New York stage during his interrogations. In his statements, he disavows being part of Einheit Stierlau or any organized group of English-speaking German soldiers. He repeatedly expresses ignorance about the specific unit he served in before being captured. Additionally, he denies any knowledge of organized endeavors involving Germans impersonating American soldiers with American equipment. Struler emphasizes that his mission was solely focused on reconnaissance, excluding sabotage or espionage. However, he does mention being aware of Skorzeny's assassination mission, indicating that it is already underway. Like the other Einheit Stilau members captured in American uniforms, Alfred Franz, Antoni Mordzak, and Otto Struller face trial, which takes place on December 31, 1944, culminating in their sentencing to death. The execution is carried out in Huy, Belgium, on January 13, 1945. Trial of Otto Skorzeny The accountability of Otto Skorzeny for his involvement in Einheit Stierlau is not established until after the culmination of World War II. Surrendering to the 30th Infantry Regiment in May 1945, Skorzeny awaits trial in detention for two years. The prominent Nazi officers brought before the International Military Tribunal in Nuremberg face grim outcomes, with many receiving capital punishment or lifelong imprisonment. Skorzeny's trial commences in August 1947 at the General Military Government Court in Dachau. During his testimony, Skorzeny acknowledges his role in Unternehmen Greif. His adept defense attorney, Colonel Robert Durst, appointed by the U.S., effectively influences the court's perspective. Assisted by Durst, Skorzeny highlights instances where American troops donned German uniforms, such as during the Aachen conflict, arguing that he instructed his commandos to shed their American attire before entering combat. A pivotal moment in the trial occurs with an unexpected testimony from Wing Commander Forrest Yeo Thomas of the Royal Air Force, known as the White Rabbit, to the Germans. Yeo Thomas recounts how he and fellow prisoners successfully escaped German confinement by disguising themselves in enemy uniforms, asserting that Skorzeny's utilization of American uniforms for camouflage 
mirrors his own tactics. Unlike the military commission that found other Einheitsstilau members guilty, the Dachau court operates under international laws of war, deeming the act of wearing enemy uniforms a violation only when engaged in combat while so attired. Based on this legal interpretation and the compelling testimony from Yeo Thomas, the court dismisses the charges against Skorzeny and his co-defendants. Aftermath Following their retreat, the remaining Einheit Stielau members move with Panzer Brigade 150 to Schlierbach, east of St. Vith. The unit subsequently travels by train to their German headquarters at Grafenwur, where it is disbanded as planned and most troops return to their respective units. According to Oberkommando West, this process concludes by January 23, 1945. Contrary to Skorzeny's claim that only eight out of the 44 dispatched commandos failed to return, official sources reveal a different reality. Seventeen Einheitsstielau members are arrested behind enemy lines, subsequently trialed and executed for espionage and wearing American uniforms. Additionally, at least five Einheitsstielau members perish behind enemy lines, with an unknown number dying during the battle for Malmedy. Among them, four are arrested in German uniform. References in American Battle of the Bulge records mention the capture of other Einheitsstielau teams, such as a report detailing the arrest of a team delivering a vehicle to an ordnance maintenance unit for repairs. Other reports narrate instances of an American soldier confronting two impostors, reprimanding them in German for hindering his mission. The American later returns with reinforcements, resulting in the capture of one German and the death of the other. While these reports are widespread, the absence of specific unit details, individual identities, locations and interrogation records makes their accuracy challenging to verify. Mission Objectives The principal objective of Einheit Stielau during Unternehmen Greif was to introduce chaos and uncertainty among the Allied forces. Their mission encompassed reconnaissance, spreading misinformation, severing communication lines, and instilling fear and distrust among Allied soldiers. Einheit Stielau attained a degree of success in accomplishing their assigned tasks. The Aufklärungskommando teams effectively reached and conducted reconnaissance on two of the three vital bridge targets. These operations provided valuable intelligence, and the sabotage carried out by the teams contributed to the disruption of American forces. The psychological impact of these commando activities reverberated extensively. Although the Stielau commandos were not without shortcomings, they adeptly executed the tasks outlined by Skorzeny. The audaciousness of their infiltration strategy and the significant self-directed initiative demonstrated by the team leaders were pivotal to their success. The commandos paved a strategic path for Panzer Brigade 150 to follow. Nevertheless, the success achieved in this operation constituted only a portion of the broader strategy and the subsequent stages of Unternehmen Greif needed to build upon this foundation to prevent it from remaining an isolated achievement. Overall, this phase of Operation Greif 
did not significantly alter the trajectory of Unternehmen Wacht am Rhein. While it induced temporary disruption and concern among the Allied forces, the inability to yield substantial outcomes resulted from a combination of factors, including the skepticism of American soldiers and the overall effectiveness of the Allied response. And this concludes our journey through the remarkable five chapters of Unternehmen Greif, here on the Special Forces in World War II podcast. We've delved deep into the intricacies of Otto Skorzeny's Special Forces operation, shedding light on the lesser-known facets of World War II history. From the clandestine efforts of Einheit Stierlau, donning enemy uniforms to disrupt and confuse, to the unlucky efforts of Panzer Brigade 150 trying to capture the Meuse River bridges, every episode has unveiled layers of strategy, courage, and sacrifice that shaped the course of events during Unternehmen Greif. As we step back from this historical canvas, it's important to remember that the actions of these special forces were a testament to the lengths to which both sides of the conflict were willing to go in pursuit of their goals. The calculated risks, the complexities of deception, and the unwavering determination to change the tides of war are stories that deserve remembrance. We hope that our dedicated exploration into Unternehmen Greif has provided you with a deeper understanding of the intricacies of this operation and its impact on the broader narrative of World War II. The pages of history are rich with such stories waiting to be unearthed and shared. Thank you for joining us on this podcast series. We encourage you to keep seeking knowledge, questioning the past, and reflecting on the sacrifices made during times of conflict. Until we meet again with another chapter of history on the Special Forces in World War II podcast, this is Unternehmen Greif, signing off. concludes this mission briefing fellow warriors of knowledge we've navigated through the trenches of information delving deep into the battlefields of history as we wrap up this episode in our campaign for understanding remember that knowledge is your most potent weapon stay vigilant and keep sharpening your intellectual arsenal we'll rendezvous again for another episode continuing our relentless pursuit of enlightenment. Until then, keep your mind sharp, your curiosity burning, and your determination unwavering. Simultaneously, you are hereby alerted to our outposts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, fortifying our information dissemination. Should you possess any pertinent intelligence to bolster our mission, transmit your findings with no hesitation. Your contributions shall be prominently acknowledged within the operational archives. Furthermore, for those prepared to provide substantial reinforcement, navigate to our Patreon forward base and enlist. Your support is integral to sustaining our forward thrust. Carry forth the legacy. Dismissed. <laughs>